Early Transportation on the Mississippi. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Early Transportation on the Mississippi by H. E. Hoagland. A selection from the Journal of Political Economy, Volume 19, Number 2, February 1911. The only means of water transportation with which the Indian of the Mississippi Valley was equipped before the influence of the Frenchman was felt in the West were canoes made of logs, birch bark, or buffalo skins. The birch bark canoe obtained from the Indian or constructed according to his pattern meant much to the early Frenchmen in the Western Valley. Important as it was to the explorer, however, its limited capacity prevented its permanent use by the trader. As soon as increased settlement made commerce possible, fire and stone axes gave place to iron tools, and larger and better boats supplanted the canoes. The earliest improvement on the canoe was the pirogue, which was first used extensively by the early French traders. Like the log canoe, the pirogue was constructed from the solid trunk of a tree, the sycamore being the tree most often used for this purpose. The method of construction was as follows. After the trunk of the tree had been hollowed out, the canoe thus formed was split along its entire length as nearly in the middle as possible. Then a broad, flat piece of timber was inserted between these halves, and the ends were fitted with similar planks. The chinks were plastered up with clay or filled with gum resin. As this pirogue presented the same objections as the log canoe, being heavy, unwieldy, and having flat ends, which met with great resistance from the water, it was further modified in time into the form of a bateau. This change was brought about by tapering the ends. Sometimes the middle was widened like a large skiff. The tapered ends, together with the use of lighter timbers, made the bateau much more easy to handle than the pirogue. When operated by only two men, it was usually managed with paddles and setting poles. Some of the larger ones were supplied with oars and were rowed by eighteen or twenty men, and in a few instances the bateau had a mast and a lug or sort of square sail which could be set when the wind favored. These pirogues and bateaux answered the early demand of local commerce but for longer journeys where increased dangers were to be met with and where it was not profitable to carry small cargoes larger and more durable boats were needed this need was met temporarily by the enlargement of the bateau and by improvements in their plan of construction in order to give greater height and width to the bateau slabs of timber were sometimes added to the sides and several planks instead of one were inserted into the bottom of the boat. These were at first stitched in by means of cords or sinews. Gradually, as the number of side planks increased, the solid hull diminished and finally dwindled into a bottom board or keel at the bottom of the boat, its only purpose being to serve as a centerpiece upon which the sides of the vessel were built. Hence the name given to this form, the keelboat. Finally, the framework of vertical ribs was added to the interior and fastened to the planks of the sides by cords. 
these cords were later replaced by wooden pins which in their turn gave way to iron nails or small bolts these mississippi keel boats developed into a form forty to sixty feet long and seven to ten feet wide they were sharp at both ends with flat bottoms and drew only about two feet of water this made it possible to navigate them near the shore in going against the current of the stream where the counter currents or eddies could be made use of to aid in the progress of the boat when they had no roof they were fitted with a narrow gangway just above the gunwale for the use of the boatmen as they pulled or warped up the stream sometimes something like a large box was raised over the boat this served for a cover and left a narrow footpath on the outside all around in descending the river these boats required but one hand to steer and four to row the steersman plied a long oar which served as a rudder to ascend the stream more hands were needed in order to pole the boat against the current the poles used for this purpose were iron-tipped and at least eight feet long the upward journey was a laborious one progress being only about eight or ten miles per day occasionally a better system of propulsion was employed for tesk cumming who made a tour down the mississippi made note of a keelboat propelled by horsepower quote, a keel of forty tons came to the landing at the same time we did she was worked by a horizontal wheel kept in motion by six horses going round in a circle on a gallery above the boat by which are turned two cog wheels fixed each to an axle which projects over the gunwales of the boat one before the other behind the horizontal wheel eight paddles are fixed on the projecting ends of each axle which propel the boat five or six miles an hour seven horses died during the voyage and he had only two remaining of the first set he commenced with the next change in the keelboat was not so much a change in its form as in the method of propelling it the new form constructed with a hull similar to that of the older type had two masts and was provided with sails such a boat was called a barge the advantages of the sail barge are easily understood when it is borne in mind that on the lower mississippi during the summer there is always a south or southwest wind for nine or ten hours during the day commencing about eight o'clock in the morning these barges were steered by a rudder and were easily managed when they were making good progress with a strong wind but when they were descending the river with the force of the current alone they were not so easily managed as was the keelboat with a long steering oar in case the wind was not favorable when ascending the stream the navigation of these barges depended chiefly upon the use of the tow-line leaving for a time the discussion of boats evolved from the canoe we turned to a consideration of rafts and their modifications it is evident that the idea of a raft would be as easily suggested to the mind of the savage as would that of the dugout canoe yet rafts were not in general use by the indians of the mississippi valley at the time of its discovery by the europeans it was not until settlements had been made at new orleans and at other points in the lower part of this great valley that this means of transportation became common as soon as such settlements were made 
many of the early comers to the timber regions bordering the mississippi and its tributaries employed themselves and their slaves in the autumn in cutting down and squaring timber for sawing into boards and scantling these squared timbers were made into rafts and floated down the various feeders of the mississippi thence to be carried to new orleans or some other downriver settlement many such settlers constructed their own water-power sawmills or became partners in a neighborhood sawmill which they put to good use during the period of high water large quantities of this lumber were rafted to new orleans there to be loaded upon ocean vessels for shipment to the west indies or to other markets this trade in lumber alone was profitable but it was early seen that these rafts could be made to carry more than their own weight consequently they were loaded with skins produce and peltries this method of marketing other produce than lumber was not followed long modifications were made in the rafts to accommodate loose articles one of the first of these was the lashing of two pirogues together to serve as a sort of foundation upon which was constructed a platform of planks or timbers besides the deck thus formed for the deposit of articles bound for market the boatmen had covered stowage in each of the pirogues experience soon taught those who made use of the ordinary raft or of the form just described that with the dip of the raft in eddies or with shock which the raft received whenever it came in contact with snags or hidden boulders much of the cargo would be precipitated into the river in order to prevent this rude sides a few feet high were fastened to the raft here we have the first form of the flat boat or broad horn as claiborne has said in the description of these craft the only claim of the flat boat or broad horn to rank as a vessel was due to the fact that it floated upon the water and was used as a vehicle of transportation at first these boats were constructed without nails the parts being fastened together with thongs or wooden pins this made their use dangerous to the boatmen and hazardous to their cargoes because of the risk of their breaking up when they came in contact with the bank of the stream or with any obstacle to the progress of the boat the material used in the construction of the early flat boats differed but little from that used in the construction of the ordinary rafts they have been compared in form to a log house with the puncheon floor and with the roof and all but a few feet of the walls removed much grain and many small articles were lost whenever the water washed the plaster away from the chinks in the floor and in the low sides the appearance of these boats was anything but graceful they were usually about sixty feet long and twenty feet wide their awkward shape and great size made them so unmanageable that an early traveller has undoubtedly expressed the truth when he says that only the strong arm of a backwoodsman could keep them from running upon planters sawyers wooden islands and all the scillas and charybdis that are to be found with on the voyage they were used to carry all sorts of bulky cargoes including livestock and produce and slaves as well the following quotation taken from the account of a voyage down the mississippi gives some idea of the nature of the heterogeneous cargoes Quote, we found numbers of them along the ohio detained by low water 
and from st louis down to new orleans sometimes fifteen twenty and thirty together one of the flatboats is from the upper ohio laden with pine boards planks rye whiskey and flour close to it another from the falls of the ohio with corn in the ear and bulk apples and peaches a third with hemp tobacco and cotton in the fourth you may find horses regularly stabled together in the next cattle from the mouth of the missouri a sixth will have hogs poultry turkeys and in the seventh you see peeping out of the holes the woolly heads of slaves transported from virginia and kentucky to the human flesh mart at new orleans they have come thousands of miles and still have to proceed a thousand more before they arrive at their place of destination the flatboat traffic except that of the lower mississippi was confined to a few months in the year the boats could float down the rivers only during the season of high water traffic was confined to the down-river trade as none of these craft ever attempted to go up the stream they were generally broken up at their destination and the lumber of which they were made was sold for building purposes or for fuel whenever the market for the sale of such lumber was flooded the boats were abandoned after they had been divested of their produce some were used by boat companies and by merchants to aid in the construction of their rude levees and wharves End of early transportation on the mississippi by h e hoagland